you have a Bible, you can open to Luke's Gospel. We'll look at chapter 10, verses 25 to 37 this morning. Luke 10, 25 to 37. That's uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Sorry, I was uh, pretty much sick all week, so this will be one of the least polished sermons from my perspective, anyway. Um, <clears throat> a couple of introductory comments just... Uh, a lot of what I'm going to say comes from two books, <laughs> and uh, they're great books, and you should definitely read at least one of them. Uh, Tim Keller has a book called Ministries of Mercy. Tim Keller has been the pastor. I'm not sure if he is uh, technically still, still is. He may be in transition out of uh, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan, and uh, he's been pastor there. He planted that church for a long time, and he, he, he's written several great books. One of them is Ministries of Mercy, and... Um, Throughout that book, he kind of elaborates on the story, the parable of the Good Samaritan in uh, really eye-opening ways and applies that to uh, serving people in need. So that's a great book. Uh, and then also another book that is probably a little bit more technical is uh, uh, Through Peasant Eyes by Kenneth Bailey, where he basically just takes kind of a literary, cultural, historical approach to most of the parables, I think, in Luke. Um, and, and really does a profound job of uh, helping us to think how the original audience would have thought and assume the things that they would have assumed. And um, so it's a great, great book. And so most of what I'm going to say is maybe quotes <laughs> from them. Sorry. <clears throat> but um, it won't be quite that bad, probably. But all right, let's, uh, let's pray, and then we will read from Luke's Gospel. Father, as always, we do need your help as we consider your word, so we ask for it. We ask for the help of your spirit to uh, shape our thoughts, our minds, our hearts, our affections, to make us able to receive your word, to be changed by it into the likeness of Christ, uh, who it reveals to us. We pray this uh, for the sake of your kingdom, we pray this for the sake of our uh, relationship with you, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. 
Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So I'm going to go kind of with a standard, like a Puritan uh, version of a sermon, which is I'm going to explain the text and then apply the text. That's, that's all you're getting. <laughs> so it's pretty simple structure today. Going through the text here, uh, starting in verse 25, behold, a lawyer stood up, and this is a lawyer, it's a, in this context, he's more like a theologian. He's a, a lawyer of God's law. He's not like an attorney uh, like we would consider them to be today. But a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. So he's got this ulterior motive in questioning Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So he's got a bad question, and he's got a bad motive. He's, his motive is to put Jesus to the test. He's Jesus' enemy, right? He's suspicious of Jesus, at least. Um, and so he's wanting to test him, and he asks this question, and the question itself doesn't even make any sense. How do, you, how do I, what do I do to inherit eternal life? If you have an inheritance, if your parents have an inheritance, what do you do to receive that? What do you do? Nothing, right? You don't do anything. It, it is all taken care of for you. You're passive in the inheritance, right? Um, so he's asking this question with a bad motive. And Jesus said to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? So clearly the lawyer has this concept in mind that he wants to engage with Jesus on a matter of what do I do? What kind of works can I perform? What kind of deeds? What, you know, uh, and putting it in that context. And he says, well, if you're going to talk about the law, what's written in the law? How do you read it? So Jesus doesn't, surprisingly, maybe to us, answer with uh, kind of, uh, well, it's about God's grace, and you've got to put your faith in God's grace. That We all know because we've got good theology, right? It's like you're saved by God's grace alone. You stop this doing business and start the believing and trusting, right? Um, but he doesn't, he doesn't answer with that grace answer. He answers with law. He says, what's written in the law? How do you do it? And he does this because he's not giving an answer to the man's question. He's exposing what's going on inside the man's heart. You remember uh, earlier in Luke's gospel, it was prophesied that uh, Jesus would be the one who reveals the thoughts of many hearts. And you see a couple places where uh, this lawyer's thoughts of his hearts are revealed, and that's what Jesus is about here. He's exposing what's going on inside the man's heart by, by uh, responding to him this way. What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So that's a pretty good answer for the lawyer. And maybe he had heard that from Jesus already. You know, Jesus has answered that way a few times in the Gospels. Um, but it's a great summary of the law. And, and a lot of times we don't think of love as the law, but love is the summary of the law. If you can love God perfectly, and if you can love your neighbor as yourself, you fulfill the law. And he's uh, summarizing these from uh, Deuteronomy 6, which Rainey read in the Old Testament reading, and then also Leviticus 19. So Deuteronomy 6 is the part about loving God. Leviticus 19, the part about loving your neighbor. And it's a good summary. It's a good answer in terms of um, what's required in the law. And so Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do that. Do this. And you'll live. Um, in a sense, it's true. If you could do the law perfectly, you would live. 
But the point of all the scriptures, the point of the law itself, is to show you that you can't do that. That is exactly the point of the law, to show you that you cannot fulfill it in order to find eternal life. There's only one who can do that. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, he's got this this thing inside where he's got to justify himself by his works. Desiring to do so, he said to Jesus, <clears throat> well, who's my neighbor? All right, so desiring to justify himself, that's the context that, that is key to understanding the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a familiar parable. We've all heard it a lot of times. Uh, maybe we've even heard it explained well several times and just forget how to understand it when we come to our reading of it in the scriptures. But, but d- the fact that he's desiring to justify himself is what Jesus is talking about. That's what he's addressing with this parable. Jesus isn't just providing you and me and this lawyer with a moral example in the parable of the Good Samaritan. He's undermining our false sense of morality, our propensity to justify ourselves. So you should leave reading the parable afterwards. You should leave rejecting your self-righteousness. That's the point. Um, Walter Leefield is a commentator on this. He says, the only way any person can justify himself is to limit the extent of the law's demand and consequently limit his own responsibility. So in asking the question, who's my neighbor? I think the lawyer's hoping to hear a response like, well, the bar's not quite this high. The bar's like down here. And uh, it says in Leviticus 19, where he quotes from, he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself that's clearly talking about uh, fellow Israelites, ancient Jews, fellow Israelites. Those are your neighbors. That's, that is who is being talked about in Leviticus 19 well enough. And it's possible that uh, one could fool oneself into believing that he had actually kept the law to love your neighbor if, um, if that meant loving those that are easy for you to love. Right? Maybe you could, you could fool yourself into thinking you'd kept the law if you were thinking only in terms of the people who are easy for you to love. Um, And that's what he's trying to do, but he ignores what comes just a few verses later in Leviticus 19. It says, you shall treat the stranger. That means not not the Israelite, right? The Gentile, the poor, the wandering, the alien. You should treat them as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt... I'm the Lord your God, That's what, is what God says. So he should know, this lawyer, he probably does know, uh, that his neighbor is anyone and everyone. But he seeks to argue about the limits of love with Jesus so that he can feel good about himself. Think, maybe I've done this. Um, and so that's why Jesus tells this parable. He replied, so a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So a parable is a story that's made up, right? It's a crafted story. It's crafted to make a point. Sometimes they make more than one point. Uh, But this story that Jesus tells is about a real place, right? It's, It's this notorious, dangerous road from Jerusalem to Jericho that actually for thousands of years, until maybe like 100 years ago, Uh, was probably one of the most dangerous places in the world. Uh, It should probably be in some record list for that because for thousands of years it was was just the road you don't want to travel by yourself, right? Uh, It was dangerous. Uh, It it was a 4,000-foot drop in elevation over 17 miles, so it was difficult. 
but there were always these brigands running about, and uh, it was easy for them to, to strike and then hide off in the wilderness. And so it was dangerous. And so if you were traveling, then um, you know who else is on the road with you. You are paying very close attention to your surroundings. And, and actually, apparently, this road is... Um, if you were on it and it's downhill, there most for the most of the road you can see well in front of you to see who else is on the road. So it could well be that uh, these these travelers had seen each other uh, on the road. That that would be the assumption of the people uh, who are hearing this story. Uh, but there's this severely wounded man. He's he fell among robbers. He was beaten and stripped of his clothes. And so uh, the main point of that is that he's unidentifiable. He's just. Uh, what do they call the guy who arrives at the hospital and nobody knows who he is? John Doe, right? He's just a John Doe. Um, he's unidentifiable. You immediately, if you're on a road like this, are going to want to identify people by their accent, finding out kind of where they are. Is this guy a Jew? Is he safe? Or by their clothing. You can tell by your clothing, like what culture you're part of, what ethnicity. Nobody could tell who this guy was, whether he was a good guy or a bad guy, somebody on our side or their side. Uh, he was unidentified. That's the point. So if you, were, if you were putting people in boxes and trying to categorize them in order to determine whether they qualify for assistance, you wouldn't be able to do that with this guy. Um, is he the deserving poor? Well, we don't know. Um, now, by chance, Jesus says, by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw the guy, he passed by on the other side. So any person in the original audience would assume that the priest, he's a, a member of probably the wealthier class. He's riding an animal. Maybe he's got an entourage, but um, he's, he's probably got an animal. He's probably able to offer some substantial uh, assistance to this guy. But in order to identify whether he should help the man, he'd have to get close, close enough for contamina contamination, right? Uh, he could contract ritual impurity. If, if he goes up to this guy and this guy's actually already dead, or if this guy dies while he's in his care, then uh, his ritual purity as a priest is uh, not only jeopardized, it's wiped out. And then he would, he would be humiliated and he would have to go through an expensive purification process not worth it. Not worth it. Not going to help this guy. Um, so he used his religious principles to cut off compassion. Right? And we do that all the time. We use our, our religious principles as weapons to distance ourselves from other people. And we excuse our lack of love because we're taking a stand on principles. And uh, our children see that in our homes, they see that kind of hypocrisy and they leave the faith. Right? So he's not your role model. Verse 32, so likewise a Levite, he came to the place, so maybe he even got a little closer, he came to the place and saw him and he passed by on the other side. So maybe this Levite is not uh, mounted. He doesn't have a, an animal that he's riding on. The difference between a Levite and a priest, by the way, um, the Levite was a member of the tribe that Aaron's sons were the priests. 
So the Levites were to assist in all the temple duties, but the priests were the ones who really performed all the uh, temple ceremonies. And so uh, the risk of ritual impurity for this guy, for this Levite, was not quite as substantial for the priest. Uh, it's less than the priest. That's probably not what's driving him to avoid the guy lying on the ground. It's, it's probably something more like uh, actually fear of danger <laughs> because this is like a 17-mile-long dark alley, you know, that um, here's a guy who is clearly showing signs of being beaten by robbers, and if I stop to help this guy, I'm going to put myself in danger. I, I, mm, no thanks. Um, not worth it. So then the audience, <clears throat> hearing the story, would expect the next person to come to be just a Jewish layman, just a regular Jewish guy, uh, not an expert in religious matters, but someone with love in his heart, right? someone full of pity, a good man, simple but admirable, and so truly the kind of man who's worthy of eternal life. Right? That's what the audience is expecting but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So um, that should be a shock to everyone who reads it, right? And um, Paul Miller says about this passage, to, to understand how this story must have shocked the Jews, imagine someone telling a story about the good Nazi. That's what it's like the good Nazi. Uh, imagine a Nazi or a, a, an Arab helping a Jew. Imagine a slave helping a free man or a free man helping a slave or a pedophile helping a soccer mom. Seriously, uh, that's what this story is like. And Kenneth Bailey, in that book that I referenced uh, Through Peasant Eyes, said that Jesus could have told a story about a noble Jew helping a hated Samaritan. Such a story could have been more easily absorbed emotionally by the audience. Rather, we have the hated Samaritan as the hero. The only one who has lived as part of a community with a bitterly hated traditional enemy can understand fully the courage of Jesus in making the despised Samaritan appear as morally superior to the religious leadership of the audience. Thus, Jesus speaks to one of the audience's deepest hatreds and painfully exposes it. Right? So the Samaritans were the half-breeds. They were the ones who, they lived within the territory of Israel, but you know, they had intermingled with the Assyrians. They had, um, uh, they had set up different uh, religious practices so that people wouldn't have to go down to Jerusalem. Uh, they disobeyed God's law. They were clearly uh, disobedient to God's law. And in fact, may, uh, just a few years before this happened, I think, uh, they, they defiled the temple by throwing human bones into it. Um, so there was a lot of enmity. I mean, if you, if you wanted to call somebody a bad name, you called them a Samaritan. And, um, and there, was, there was hatred. And it was an ethnic hatred, right? Uh, and so ethnic hatred is what's being uh, shown here as a form of self-righteousness. When you, when you can't stand the thought of your enemy being better than you, someone like that being better than you, then guess what? You've got a lot invested in how good you are. That's what that's exposing. 
You've got a lot invested in how good you are. You identify yourself by being yourself and not that kind of person. Right? And so Jesus is taking a scalpel here and he's exposing the lawyer's heart and it's rotten all the way through with self-justification. Self-justification. And um, that's, that's actually usually an effect of Jesus' parables is exposing what's wrong with us. That's, that's at least one major part of most of his parables, showing us what's wrong with ourselves. So <clears throat> Jesus continues, he went up to him, the Samaritan went up to this guy, who probably was, it's assumed that he was just a Jewish man. Um, <clears throat> he went up to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So he's administering first aid, like the Levite could and should have done. He's transporting him to someplace where he can offer better care, like the priest could and should have done. And uh, he's pouring on oil and wine. He's taking his own. These things are not cheap in the ancient world, but they, were, they served as uh, kind of these ancient remedies. Those of you who like the kind of home remedy things, this oil and wine is cleans and disinfects and, uh, and helps protect the wounds. And also, that kind of imagery of oil and wine conjures up for us uh, thoughts of ritual offerings, these things being poured out. They're thoughts of ritual offerings in the Old Testament. This Samaritan's mercy is the kind of sacrifice that pleases God. And, um, and his binding up of the wounds is actually reminiscent of God himself, who's the one who binds up our wounds. He heals us by his grace in our salvation. So the Samaritan is... At the expense of time and money, he's going well out of his way. He's working to fix things for this man, to love him where the, the robbers actively harmed him and where these other travelers uh, passively harmed him through their neglect. Right? And the next day, he took out, after being in this inn, he took out two denarii, and, which is like two days' wages, gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him, whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. So the language is emphatic. I, I will repay you. Not this guy. I will repay you. He takes the burden entirely off of the wounded man and puts it on himself. He puts no limits at all on his love. And so Jesus asks the lawyer then, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? So Jesus, again, is kind of asking, you know, when he gets asked questions, he often just asks a question in response. <laughs> it's great tactic. Uh, he asks the lawyer a question in response to his original question, but he's transformed that original question because that question was bad, right? Not who is my neighbor. Uh, that's the question of someone who's trying to justify himself. But the question of love, to whom may I be a neighbor? So which one was the neighbor? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And um, so it's, the lawyer is, he's disgusted but he's exposed. He can't even say the Samaritan. Yeah, it's the Samaritan. It's the one who showed him mercy. He's forced to admit that the one that he hates is the true hero of the story. The one that he hates is the true hero of the story, but he can't admit it. And Karl Barth says that the lawyer does not know that only by mercy can he live and inherit eternal life. He does not want to live by mercy. He does not even know what it is. He actually lives by something quite different from mercy, by his own intention and ability to present himself as a righteous man before God, or he thinks that he can live that way. 
doesn't even know what mercy is. Jesus said to him, you go, you, you do, you do that. You do likewise, right? So hearing the parable this way, we can, we can not hear Jesus just prescribing rules for good living here. This is not just go and imitate the, the good Samaritan and, um, and you'll inherit eternal life. You can't read it that way. The lawyer's original questions were wrong. They were wrong-headed. Jesus has successfully exposed this. And the language is, again, emphatic. You go, you do that, right? You can't handle mercy, huh? Well, then go ahead and try to inherit eternal life by perfectly keeping the law. You let me know how that goes. The whole point of the interaction is actually just not spelled out for us explicitly on paper, but it is extremely implicit, and it has to be this. Give up your self-justification and go to Jesus for mercy. Go to God for mercy through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. And the reason that this is so difficult for people like us is that we run to self-justification precisely to, in, to avoid needing mercy from the one we hate. We don't want to need mercy from the one we hate. We need Jesus' mercy, but we resent him because he's God and we're not. We resent him just like the lawyer resented the Samaritan in the story. If you don't understand what it means to, to resent Jesus, what it means to hate Jesus, if you don't understand that, if you can't be honest enough with yourself and detect that within yourself, this hatred of Jesus, this resentment of Jesus that all of us naturally have as sinners, then you will not understand the point of this parable because Jesus is saying that he's the good Samaritan. He's the one who's hated, yet who shows mercy. Again, Karl Barth says that the good Samaritan stands before the lawyer incarnate, hidden under the form of one whom the lawyer believed he should hate. All right, the lawyer hated Jesus for the threat that he posed to himself and all the religious ex experts, right, they all hated him because he posed this great threat to all the righteous people, which is why this lawyer sought to test him and debate him in the first place. Right? And if you don't know why Jesus would offend someone like you, if you don't feel that resentment instinctively at some level, then you will not understand how Jesus is the Good Samaritan, how he's the one who is hated and yet has mercy. He's the one who's unlike us, whose presence exposes our self-justification, our sin. That is not a pleasant experience. And the Jews even called him a Samaritan because they couldn't stand him and they couldn't find a worse name to call him. It says in John's Gospel, chapter 8, Jesus said, Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? So religious people hate Jesus and would like to assume that God is on our side in that. Right? And so religious people killed Jesus in God's name. And the good news is Jesus is the good Samaritan he even used our hatred of him. He even used our rejection of him to show us mercy. Right? 
Out of love, he let himself be mocked and killed. And in so doing, he suffered for us, he redeemed us, he atoned for our sins, including the sins of our self-righteousness and our self-justification. Kenneth Bailey says, Jesus, the rejected outsider, has cast himself in the role of the Samaritan who appears dramatically on the scene to bind up the wounds of the suffering as the unique agent of God's costly demonstration of unexpected love. He's the unique unique agent of God's costly demonstration of unexpected love. Jesus is the good Samaritan. He's the one of whom we are suspicious, at least. He is our enemy. He's the one who's moved with compassion for us, who has sacrificed his comfort, his ease, his wealth, his safety, his time to rescue us. He had mercy on us, and his mercy makes us a people of mercy. His mercy makes us a people of mercy. That's where Tim Keller uh, does a great job with this in his book. Uh, He says that mercy to the full range of human needs is such an essential mark of being a Christian that it can be used as a test of true faith. You cannot read through the Gospels, read through Jesus' teachings, and miss this. Jesus says, "If, if you're really one of my followers, you will have mercy on people in need. He puts it in the starkest terms. And if you ignore that, then you're probably doing the same kind of self-justifying as this lawyer, trying to explain away, make, make the whole thing easier on yourself than really uh, than it is. You need to have mercy on people. You need to love them as you love yourself as a necessary fruit of real faith. A real relationship with God will display this kind of mercy. So you need that. You need to fulfill the law of love in order to show that you trust in the love of Christ to forgive you and make you new. In order to fulfill the law, you need Christ to have fulfilled it for you. It says in Galatians 2, Paul says, a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. By works of the law, no one will be justified. That's not what we're talking about here. not saying you need to have mercy so that you can fulfill the law, so that you can be justified. That's the problem of uh, this, this lawyer. You cannot keep the law perfectly, but he can, and he did, for your sake, in your place. So in order to be sanctified, in order to have mercy, you first must be justified as a gift of his grace. To throw yourself wholly on Jesus' mercy. In order to show mercy that isn't condescending. In order to show mercy that isn't codependent. You must first be the object of God's mercy in Jesus Christ. When you truly understand your own need of mercy, your own need of forgiveness and unmerited love, then you will become more merciful and compassionate and loving toward everyone. So you need to know that you are a supplicant, that you are entirely dependent on on God's mercy through Jesus Christ. And knowing that, then, can you find compassion for the poor? For the one whose life is in ruin, for whatever reason, unidentifiable reasons. For the one who you can't put in a box or categorize to decide whether they qualify for your assistance. Can you have compassion on people like that? Do you have mercy toward people like that? Mercy is inconvenient. You see in this passage, it's... uh, 
extremely inconvenient for this Samaritan. He goes well out of his way to show mercy to this, this man who fell among robbers. It's gross. He takes the guy on his own animal. So either that means he's riding on his own animal with this bloodied, unconscious man, or uh, he's leading as a servant would lead while the half-dead guy rides the animal. It's difficult. Mercy is difficult. It, it's an interruption to your schedule. It's never clean and tidy and neat and perfect and convenient. But if you see Christ as the one who had mercy on you when you desperately needed it, you know your utter hopelessness otherwise, unless he had mercy on you, then you'll have that kind of mercy toward others around you. You just will. So who do you identify with in this parable? It's kind of one of the confusing points. It's like we should identify pretty much with everybody in this parable. Yes, you're even the robbers who actively harm other people. You're the priest and the Levite who harm other people through passive neglect. You're the half-dead anonymous man in need of abject mercy. And in Christ, only by his grace, you can be the Samaritan who lends aid, who loves indiscriminately, unconditionally, without limit. You can be generous. Uh, this is why one of the things that we do here is have the Mercy Sunday, uh, one Sunday a month, where we collect a mercy offering and uh, collect donations for food, items for local school kids. Right? You can be generous, like the Good Samaritan was generous. You can serve. There's options to serve. You can uh, chop wood and deliver firewood with the woodchucks. You can get involved with Love, Inc. in town here. Um, you can be a friend to outcasts in so many different ways, right? Uh, right here in our neighborhood, there are um, a lot of people who are ethnically dislocated or linguistically dislocated. Uh, there are societies marginalized all around us. There are impoverished people all around us. And you can be their friends. So open your eyes to see that Jesus is the good Samaritan to your lifeless form. To see him as the one who freely gives you the inheritance of eternal life, something you can never earn for yourself. And open your eyes to look upon your neighbors, all of them, with the same kind of compassion and mercy that Jesus has shown us. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we are glad, even though um, your wound, uh, your uh, word strikes a deadly wound to our sinful flesh, it brings the healing balm of life and grace to our spirits, that even though Jesus' words are always uh, a deep challenge to us in our sinful natures, our rebellious natures, that um, if you are at work in us by your spirit, Jesus' words are life and hope and peace and joy and love. And we pray that uh, that would be true for everyone here, that um, we would indeed uh, more deeply know ourselves to be in need of your mercy and thus to know ourselves as conduits of your mercy, that we would be able, able to share even the very love of Jesus Christ with all those around us, uh, all of those around us. Would you make us to be good neighbors, even as uh, you've sent Jesus into the world to be the perfect neighbor for us? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.